0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks.
1: And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's October 22nd.
0: The discovery of what appear to be hundreds of new missile silos under construction in China has led some to raise the possibility that the United States may need more nuclear weapons. But according to Rand's Edward Geist, America's current arsenal was designed to guarantee deterrence, even in the case of surprises such as this one. It's important to note that there's a lot we don't know about these Chinese silos. For instance, exactly how many silos will be built, and how many weapons could they contain? However, Geist says that Beijing's specific objective for building these silos may not even matter. That's because, even if every one of them were to contain the largest missile it can hold, fitted with the maximum number of nuclear warheads, the nuclear weapons that the U.S. already has should be enough to counter the threat. Washington has plenty of non-nuclear options, too. Conventional weapons and sensors, for example, could provide a more credible deterrent than building more nuclear weapons. Not to mention, non-nuclear weapons give U.S. leadership a much easier choice for countering the silos. These weapons would not violate the nuclear taboo, or risk the collateral damage of nuclear detonations. We're
1: still learning about the effects that the pandemic has had on health. For example, a new RAND study finds that early infant deaths in four states in Nigeria increased significantly during COVID-19. The authors find that from April to November of last year, stillbirths rose by 22 percent and infant deaths increased by 23 percent. What might explain this increase in mortality? It could be linked to pandemic-related delays in seeking care or delays in receiving appropriate care. Additionally, the pandemic's effects on how health care was being delivered may play a part. For example, if patient consultations were being moved outside or if patients with symptoms of COVID-19 were not being seen, then access to care would have been reduced, and patients may have even received worse care as a result. Importantly, however, the authors note that there were likely multiple factors that contributed to the increase in infant deaths, and additional research is needed to better understand this issue. This study shows how the health effects of the pandemic can extend beyond counted COVID-19 deaths. The findings also suggest that the mortality effects of COVID-19 could have been vastly underestimated. This may be particularly true in poorer countries with weak health systems, such as Nigeria. The authors have two primary recommendations, stepping up support for frontline healthcare facilities and workers, and providing more support to households with pregnant
0: women. Last month, RAND's Rajiv Ramchand testified before the House Veterans Affairs Committee to discuss how investments in data could help prevent veteran suicide. He called more timely, better quality, and more comprehensive data, quote, foundational to preventing veteran suicide. Specifically, Ramchand highlighted four key areas. First, Improving the national mortality data infrastructure, the most recent data on veteran suicide from the Department of Veterans Affairs was over 20 months delayed, meaning that important factors such as the withdrawal from Afghanistan and the pandemic cannot yet be studied to determine how they may affect suicide risk. The quality of data is also an issue. Ramchand says there's a lack of information about sexual orientation, gender identity, and race and ethnicity. Second, it's important to have a better understanding of veterans' experiences outside of the VA health system. A good starting point is merging VA suicide data with data from other federal systems, such as Medicare and the Indian Health Service. This could help identify potential suicide clusters within these systems and lead to more effective interventions. Third, there's a need for more data on veteran gun ownership and storage. More than two-thirds of veterans who die by suicide used a firearm. Many experts argue that storing guns unloaded in a locked safe can help prevent suicides, but without timely data on how veterans are storing their guns, it will be impossible to know whether such strategies are effective. Fourth, and finally, there's a lack of information about new treatments that could reduce suicide risk. Novel treatments for conditions such as PTSD and substance use disorders are being developed, but there is limited data on whether these therapies specifically affect suicide risk. If you want to learn more, you can find a video about Ramchand's testimony on rand.org.
1: Most of us have encountered attempted financial scams online or over the phone, a text message from someone claiming to be our bank, or a call from a mysterious number asking for personal information. Older adults are more vulnerable to these kinds of scams. They may be lonelier, more trusting, less aware of the types of fraud that can occur, or suffering from cognitive impairment. Older people are also more likely to have money, making them valuable targets for fraudsters. And some of the programs used by banks and other institutions to stop fraud rely heavily on technology, which can actually make the situation more difficult for older people, who are generally not as proficient at using smartphones, apps, or tech platforms. What can be done to better protect this vulnerable group from financial exploitation? RAND experts offer a few solutions. First, it's important to find a trustworthy person to assume responsibilities for older adults who have cognitive impairment. Families could consider taking steps that offer some oversight. For instance, they could involve multiple family members to spread out the responsibility and provide checks and balances when it comes to making decisions about a loved one's personal finances. Older adults who do not have cognitive impairment could be educated to spot and identify fraud before it happens. As an example, older adults may need to learn that they should directly dial their bank if they receive a message about fraud, because even an email or text alerting them to fraud could be a scam. And finally, financial institutions like banks, credit reporting agencies, and investment firms could consider designing products with older users in mind. This could include reserved phone lines for older people who suspect abuse, Or banks could offer a private trust option that enables the bank itself to monitor and manage finances for clients.
0: This week, the magazine Foreign Affairs asked a group of experts a key U.S. foreign policy question. Is U.S. policy too hostile to China? Rand's Michael Mazar was one of the experts who weighed in. He said that official U.S. policy, that is, public statements by U.S. civilian officials, has been tough, but quote, superbly calibrated. What may have become too hostile, Mazar says, is the emerging national mindset on China. This is being shaped by proposed congressional legislation, statements by some politicians and pundits, comments by some military officers, and occasionally sensationalistic reporting that speaks in apocalyptic terms about the U.S.-China rivalry. Such statements are already leading Chinese officials to draw increasingly fatalistic and highly dangerous conclusions about U.S. intentions. Mazar worries that widespread anti-Chinese sentiment from all these unofficial sources of quote-unquote foreign policy could overwhelm the efforts of a more nuanced and thoughtful official stance that's designed to prevent disaster between the world's two most powerful countries.